Welcome to the Mindset Mashup. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow. I'm a TV host on Extra, lifestyle strategist, and author on gratitude. And I'm going to dig deep to bring you closer to your best life in this lively, unfiltered, and heart-centered podcast. This show is a compilation of real talks designed to help you optimize what matters most, self-love, impact, success. Tune in for inspirational guests who reveal the mindset required to bust through the BS that holds you back and then how to apply those tools to elevate your life, business, and relationships. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey guys, I'm really excited about my next conversation and it is honestly one of my very favorite conversations I've ever had in my life, not just for this podcast, but in my life. My friend Evka Adam is my next guest and uh, she is just a phenomenal, beautiful light on this planet and doing really big stuff, important stuff. She's a super successful entrepreneur. She's a founder and CEO of Iconery. And she is, uh, my goodness, a widely um, celebrated speaker on some of the most iconic stages and platforms, including Women's Wear Daily and Girl Boss Rallies and so many others. And she is a world-class hiker. She has ascended to the, to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and Mount Whitney, not just once, but five times, which is the tallest peak in the lower 48 of the U.S. And I love that she has been able to do these things while also really aligning her mind and heart with a very practical mindset tool that she's been utilizing since she was four years old. And that's been 34 years now. So she's going to share about that and what it means to her. She also digs really deep to go behind the scenes as an entrepreneur and and really reveal what it's like and then how she stays focused and aligned with her true mission. And then uh, I love that she also shares something super private and it brings her to tears and, and then it brings me to tears. And the reason why I, I think she ended up sharing that deep down is because she wants to really um, heal so many women to be able to speak authentically and to be able to share in something, um, that has such an impact on so many women's lives and to help to support one another and make it a conversation that is acceptable. And she started here. And so it's, it's a real honor and a privilege to have a, a woman and a friend like Ivka on the show. And I'm just so I'm so humbled and so grateful for her time and obviously so deeply thankful that she is in my life as my friend and has been for so long. So without further ado, please meet my friend, ah, an absolute beauty from the inside out, Evka Adam. Um, well, my friend, I want to give you an introduction. I've got Evka Adam in the house. I'm so happy about this. This is like having a conversation with you in one of our living rooms. <laughs> Yay! Evka is, um, my goodness, uh, a dear friend of mine for many, many years and the founder and CEO of Iconery, the premier destination for fine jewelry online. 
Iconery is dedicated to helping consumers discover the jewelry they've been dreaming of and giving designers the tools they need to get into business seamlessly. Iconery utilizes 3D printing to customize pieces and offers direct-to-consumer pricing, thank you God, with the goal of becoming the ultimate destination for jewelry fanatics. I'm looking at my um, Iconary Eternity Band right now. It's so good. I know. I want to go into the story of why I bought that and why I had to buy it from you. It's like a full circle thing. Iconary works with a ton of celebrities and influencers, including Rashida Jones, Michelle Branch, Jen Gott, Stone Fox Bride, Nordstrom by Nike. You can find Iconary Powered Designers uh, obviously, Iconary.com, Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, Goop. What I love about Evka is that she's got years and years of e-commerce and Silicon Valley tech experience from eBay, Hulu, and Modnique, uh, and a regular speaker, a badass speaker at engagements such as uh, Women's Wear Daily, Beauty CEO Summit, Women's Wear Daily, Digital Forum, Los Angeles, E-Tail West, Palm Springs, Girl Boss Rally, Women in Retail Conference, alongside like Nordstrom and Zazzle, hi, Create and Cultivate and Advertising Week in New York, uh, amongst many, many others. Ivka received her BA in economics from UCLA and her MBA from the Marshall School of Business at USC. And beyond her work, she enjoys traveling and hiking around the world. She summited Mount Kilimanjaro, y'all, in Tanzania, East Africa, Mount Whitney four times, and the west face of Mount Shasta and the John Muir Trail and Trans-Catalina Trail. It's unbelievably epic to read all that and the fact that you lived it. What does that sound like to hear all of that about yourself? (laughs) Uh, I want to hang out with this person. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's remarkable, actually. And what's cool is that I've known you through all of it except the very beginning of your years at UCLA. Right. Right, because I met you right as you were gra- – you had already started your internship at Ernst & Young. Yeah, I think I met you when I was 23. Okay, so you had you'd finished your undergraduate degree. Yes. Where did we meet? Yeah. We, met, we met through the oh, – we met through doing the game, personal development. You know, I have asked you this question before. I'm such a bad friend. I can't believe it. That's right. Yes. Well, of course, our through line has always been personal development. Right. I Okay, so the game. How would you describe the game in like two sentences? I count. Oh, two sentences. Okay. I thought you, I thought you were going to say two words. And I was like, oh, um, oh, gosh. You know, it was super defining for me because it helped me put the accountability tools in place and help me understand that communication is critical for accountability. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So these 90 day games, you had a partner, you had daily check-ins, you had goals you were accomplishing. If you weren't accomplishing them, you had integrity around doing it or not doing it. And it was really incredible at the beginning of my career, adult life to have that training. Yes. Totally. Um, and I remember being in that group and um, it was it was during one of those 90-day programs where people would just set outrageous goals, like things that would just be seemingly impossible, kind of like what I'm doing now and so many of my masterminds that I lead. Um, but I remember I wanted to get on The Apprentice during that time. Do you know that you did that? And remember, you were the first person to ever quit The Apprentice, right? And you went on to... I think, were you Didn't you write a book where you did something that your your thing was quit to win? And honestly... I think about that weekly, quit to win. 
because it's about pruning away the things that aren't serving you or for, or, or keeping you focused. So I'm always, there was even a New York times article that I read last week, and it was essentially why you need to quit things in order to win. So you inspire me. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, that was a big one. I, I remember back then it was all about blogs, right? And um, I had a, a quit to win blog and a MySpace account. Holy smokes. And um, as I quit, you know, and you're so worried, you know, when you do it in real time and then the show doesn't air for a long time after. Um, I remember there, I have, of course, thoughts of, oh, God, am I the loser that Trump said I was? Am I the quitter that will never win? And I think overnight after that episode aired, my MySpace account went to like from 1,000 to like 15,000 people, which back then that was a lot. And it was 99% of, I just quit my job that I've hated for years. I just left a marriage that's been abusive. I just let go of smoking or whatever. They were like, thank you for showing me what I could now do. and Give me that, you know, inspiration. So thank you for saying that. I forgot completely about that part of it. So, all right, my friend. Well, speaking of, so back then at Ernst & Young, um, that was basically the beginning of your professional career. How did that happen? And what year was that? Because that's a critical piece. Well, I, yeah, I started my internship in 2001 and I was a junior at, or a third year at UCLA. And my big sis, who was two years older, had had this internship at Ernst & Young. And I thought, wow, if I could just get an internship half as good as the one Arwen has, I'd be so lucky, which has been a really fascinating thing because I ultimately got the internship and then I got a full-time role there. And I always kind of chuckle whenever that kind of phrase pops into my head if only I could be half as lucky as x person or if only I could sell my company to this company or if only I could get these investors and I always you know investors that are almost as good as you you know I always look at that because I'm like wait a second I am so powerful my ability to manifest is so powerful I kind of wink to myself and I'm like you know you're gonna make that happen <laughs> Love it. Yes. But did you know that then as a 23-year-old or at the time 21-year-old? No, I didn't. But it was my it was the first lesson I had of wait, I can make something I am good enough, first of all, and I can set my mind single focus on attaining something that I want and I can make it a reality. Mm. Now, what does that look like in the real world? What's a practical step of making it become a reality? I think it's two things. One, knowing how to tap into your intuition, because I mean, let's be honest, I would love to be a billionaire, but you know, I'm not in, if I really tap into myself, that's, that's actually not something I imagine I want or that I know that I can achieve. And then the second thing is actually being single focused on that thing that I want to go after. There's another example of this. When I was in business school, I discovered that eBay had MBA internships, but they had never at the time recruited from anyone who was other outside of the top four business schools in the country. So like Harvard, Stanford, that, that echelon. And I, and no one had ever had a product management internship 
And I said, you know what, that's, that's what I want. And that's what I want to do at eBay. And I put in the time, the effort I put in, I spent about a thousand dollars of my own money traveling to build the relationships, to make it happen. And I was single focused. And the thing is, I see a lot of people um, pushing forward multiple, you know, they're almost like putting, pushing forward multiple options to hedge their bets but you come across so much more intuitively to yourself or so much more authentically to yourself, to the universe, to the people you're, you, you're talking to that you want the thing from that. I think it's really important to double down on the one thing you want and put, and go all in. Clearly. So you got the role at eBay, which was unheard of. And I mean, right. And I remember, I remember going for a walk with you, walking down Georgina Avenue in Santa Monica and you talking about how badly you wanted it. And there were some, some normal human possibilities of doubt, but for the most part, as clear as we were walking into the sunset, into the West, the Pacific ocean, cause we were a block away, it was as clear as your laser, laser focus intention. I remember feeling it like this girl's going to make it happen. And, you know, you setting it up saying it's never been done and this is what I'm doing. And there was an excitement and an enthusiasm in your voice always, even though there was a little bit of fear that you were constantly balancing, but you didn't let that distract you in my experience. Yeah. And we're all such powerful beings energetically that even if like, I'm not any more different or magical or special than anyone else, um, I mean, I do have some tools where I tap in to really uncover my intuition that I've been using for a long time. But for everyone who's listening to this, you have that power as well. So I want to talk about that tool because I know a big, big piece of your mindset hack, if you will. And again, I love what you just said. You could do this too, which is the whole point of the podcast. I know that you have been a big um, transcendental meditator for as long as I've known you. I want to talk about who influenced you to start that practice, how old you were, and what it really means to you as it's evolved? I'm really lucky because I was born into a family of meditators. Um, my parents learned to meditate, or they, they became TM teachers in the 70s with Marishi. And so when, so growing up, my dad initiated me when I was four. Um, and it was, um, you know, Originally, it was, this is what you do. This is your practice. Like, I didn't have necessarily a question about it. But as I've gotten older, I've cho- chosen it. So it's, so I've gotten the benefits of having it be handed to me, but then also powerfully choosing it. I actually just got back on Wednesday from a week-long meditation retreat, um, doing transcendental meditation about six hours a day. My program, I have not just the one mantra, 20 minutes, twice a day. Um, I've learned, I've added on advanced techniques and advanced mantras. So my program is about 55, 60 minutes at this point. And um, I had the opportunity to round. So do it over and over for the past week. And it was, it was incredible, the kind of clarity and peace I was finding and how much I've been able to spring out of that silence into activity since I've just been back two days. <laughs> That's incredible. So let's unpack TM, Transcendental Meditation, and what the process is. 
for anyone who is not familiar with it, but is contemplating meditation because many of my guests who've come on have talked about a strong meditation practice, but there's all different types. So what does it look like? And what do you mean by mantra? Sure. TM is a mantra-based meditation. It means that you are repeating in your mind a meaningless word that's given to you by a TM teacher. If you've heard about TM these days, you've probably heard about it because David Lynch is a very huge proponent of it. And there are a lot of celebrities, um, a lot of people who are doing it now. Originally, it was brought from India in the 50s by Maharishi. And... um, there was a huge wave in, of initiations back then. There's a beautiful book about the emergence of transcendental meditation in the U.S. and around the world called um, All You Need Is Love, which is just an incredible, fun book to read. Anyway, um, so it's the, the basic practice is 20 minutes twice a day, and it's very easy. Um, it is also scientifically been tested and there's been a there's been a lot of science that around supporting what the technique does for brainwave coherence for rest and rest for the body longevity so it's one of those that's a very very simple practice and yet extremely effective and um can you share what your mantra is (laughs) no Okay. I am so bad at keeping secrets. I think that this is going to be the, the, my mantra is probably the only secret I'll be able to keep. Not not even to like your sister or your boyfriend. No one. No. I mean, my dad initiated me, so he knows what it is, but other than that. So, okay. That's what I wanted to ask is what is an initiation in TM? Oh, so, um, a TM teacher who, by the way, the TM teachers go through five months of training, uh, resident in residence training. I mean, it is a big deal. Um, and they, so they give you your mantra and it's a very easy initiation process. You do an intro lecture. That's about an hour. And then there's, and then three or four hour long checkups. So it's a really easy, simple process. The whole idea is that it's designed to work within your, your lifestyle. And there's, at this point, there's a lot of TM centers around the world. Um, and, uh, one of my requirements for anyone I date, including my current boyfriend is I have to be with someone who learns TM and to date every boyfriend I've I've been with has learned and love loves it and it's a really cool thing for us to do together as well so you got your mantra at four is that correct yeah so I got a child a kid's mantra at four and then I got my adult mantra at 10 now did your dad give you the adult mantra as well really wow your dad's cool both your parents I mean pretty amazing um and obviously, you know, highly accomplished in their own right um, with Ivy League educations. And, and then you've got your sister and you're a new auntie, by the way. You know, I love your whole family. Um, okay, so cool. It's so funny. I'm remembering a story of I dated at one point. Do you remember George? He was a big TM or this was like maybe 10 years ago. And I remember we were walking through an art gallery and I was just like obsessed with wanting to know his mantra. And of course I know no TM or can ever reveal their mantra, but I was like, come on, tell me, tell me. And I remember he walked up, he's like, fine, you want to hear it? And he whispered into my ear at this big, beautiful art exhibit with like paparazzi, like tons of people buzzing around drinking wine. And he was like, here you go. Mama say, mama saw, mama saw. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever messed with people about your mantra? I don't know. No, I, you know, it's, okay, I've grown, I've grown 
I mean, when I only until about the last three, four years has meditation been an open conversation. So my whole life growing up, I never talked about it. I didn't want to, I mean, I was homeschooled, so I was already weird. And so, you know, going to a real high school, going to college, it just wasn't something I talked about because it was so weird and people just didn't understand. And now it's funny when people, when people talk about how they meditate and I'm like, oh, I meditate. And they'll be like, oh, how long have you been meditating? I'm like, well, 34 years. I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty OG only because I'm really lucky because of my parents. You started at four. You got your child mantra. Um, So I love this. So 20 minutes every day, um, twice a day now, and then you've added advanced techniques. What does that mean? Because this is a huge piece Uh, Well, so, yeah, so you can add on, I think I say about 20 mantras total now, but I want to be really clear about something. As much as I would love to say I do it every day, religiously, twice a day, you know, I, I don't. And I found that rather than berate myself for not keeping a super regular practice, I I applaud myself when I do do it. I recognize the benefits, but I choose instead to do things like go for, you know, every year, go for a week to really dive deep. Um, so I'd say my more regular practice is one where I make sure on a regular basis, I am going deep for days at a time. And that really helps when I come back to quote unquote reality um, to jumpstart that regular, that regularity again. And it's really interesting being a CEO and it makes me really sad to talk to other founders who are like, you know, I haven't taken a vacation in five years since I started the company. I haven't. And I'm just thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm so sad for that. I'm so sad for your employees. It's it's not the right way to live. You have to have a, a balance of rest and activity. One of the best things about taking the time to go away for a week is I get to see how my employees work without me constantly there, constantly accessible. Um, the other thing I do once about once a year is I take about 10 days to get completely off the grid, go backpacking in the mountains. I've got 13 days scheduled, leaving in a month. I'm so excited. But my employees, yeah, exactly. So my employees know, okay, we don't have her available. Like I I get to see who steps up, who drops the ball. It's a really efficient way for me to actually see how my team works, how my company runs when I'm not there. And guess what? I come back happier. And as a happier leader, my employees are happier. So it's just, if if there's anything you take away from today, it is balance your rest and activity don't brag about being on 24 seven. It's not cool. And it's not healthy. It's not good for you or any of the people around you. There are a lot of people out there. Um, and some that I even follow, um, that talk about never taking even a minute off and between social media platforms and then working, I just think to myself, that can't be healthy for me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work at all. I need to have, I always say a lot of spaciousness in my schedule. It makes me far more productive and it's way more fulfilling. I, I just finished the book, Why We Sleep. Saw that on your Instagram post. I was going to ask you about what you posted about the effects of certain drugs. But yeah, the book, let's talk about it. Oh my gosh. I, it's been a long time since I've read something so impactful. It has, I mean, I just finished it on Wednesday. And it is a bit of a lengthy book, but there, um, some of the big takeaways I had were how important, I mean, sleep is the magic cure for everything. Um and it is so important to get that full eight hours so you get all the deep 
NREM sleep as well as the REM sleep, which bathes the, you know, like really takes care of the brain. And um, so as a result of that book, just in the past couple of days, and we'll, um, we'll see, I'd love to, you know, see how long this, these, these things uh, last for, but one of the big, one of the big takeaways is the effect of alcohol on your sleep. It really hampers your REM sleep, which is so important for memory, uh, for retention, for, yeah, a lot of it has to do with memory and brain health. And in fact, there's an argument and a lot of research studies that anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder are, can be aggravated and even sometimes like caused by a lack of sleep. So pick it up. Girl, I am a sleep whore. I mean, I used to ditch school in junior high and high school just to go sleep the whole day away in our backyard greenhouse. I, I, I didn't ditch school to go, you know, hang out with friends or whatever. I wanted to sleep in a warm greenhouse so I could just go to bed and wake up at three o'clock when school would let out. And then I would sneak back out and pretend like I had a whole day of school. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Well, what you were doing was significant brain development. So no wonder you're so talented and accomplished and powerful now. Oh yeah, <laughs> It's paid off. It's, it's the thing. And you know, um, I, I, when I saw your post about why we sleep, because I've been obsessed with the conversation about sleep, um, my whole life, because it's been my thing. Um, people always say, you know, how do you look good for your age or how do you manage to stay so balanced? And I'm like, for me, it's sleep and exercise, like just those two things. But, um, I was so grateful for Ariana Huffington to come out with her book last year, The Sleep Revolution, because she was on every major talk show and, and you know, televised platform around the world just talking about how important the sleep is, which is exactly what you're saying. So this book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, that image that you posted on June 11th, for those of you who want to go over to Evka's uh, Insta, um, it was the effects that various drugs have on spider web building. And I was blown away. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. I got scared. Yeah. Well, so it happened. He posted, he posted this figure. So some NASA researchers in the eighties had, they, they gave drugs to spiders and then watched them build the web that they would uh, build as a result of these drugs, which is fascinating. Um, <laughs> I think the LSD, the spider on LSD just cracks me up. Cause it's so beautiful. <laughs> no, because it's like it made the spokes and then it made this little tiny squiggle. It's like it couldn't leave its one little area. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was in the part of the book talking about the effect of caffeine on your circadian rhythm and sleep pressure, like melatonin and all these reasons why caffeine is so bad. But it it was one of the drugs that these researchers gave to a spider. And it by far of all the webs, the spider on caffeine has the most disorganized, random frenetic looking spider web it so stands out that it's like one of those games where you're like what stands out the most to you and 100 percent of anybody would say the spider web that's on caffeine and that blew me away because the options were lsd speed marijuana and caffeine and i don't do the first three but i do the last one caffeine has been my thing i'm not proud to say how much of it i actually drink um and i thought oh my poor body Oh my God, sometimes, you know, I have such a difficult time sleeping and this explains all of it. Well, your poor brain. Um, and I also thought I, I thought that I was 
an insomniac because I'm always up between two and four, two and 5 a.m. I read the book and I was like, oh, now I know why. It's because I'll have a glass of wine at night, which will basically kill my REM sleep, which is primarily in the early morning hours. Um, I will have caffeine too late in the day and I'm not going to bed early enough. Like there's so many things and I'm just realizing, oh, I don't need, I'm, there's nothing wrong with me <laughs> except for, you know, that isn't very, very fixable. Mm. So it has, uh, I don't drink at all. I think you know that, but um, has this affected then your interest in drinking alcohol or caffeine or just like want to lower it? Well, it's funny because I got back from being gone for a week Wednesday night and normally reuniting with my amazing boyfriend, Drew, we would celebrate by having a glass of wine, going out to dinner. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to do that because I want to see. So it's just been a couple of days, but we haven't had any alcohol. I mean, if anything, it means I'm, I'm just going to day drink more, <laughs> uh, which I've always, I've always been a fan of, but um, yeah, we're kind of on board with this idea of not having anything too late in the day, except for on rare Karen. Karen says, oh, crazy, crazy. This is another thing I learned. Okay, so let's talk about, um, it's it's really the go-to question, but we kind of addressed it with the TM, but I want to know, is that, in your opinion, the biggest mindset tool that you embody that's shaped your life? It is, 100%. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, um, I've been going through a lot of challenges with my business for the past two years. I mean, like it's more dark times than <laughs> seeing the light. Um, I was pretty, um, I was pretty, let's see, what's the word? I had, I was kind of freaking out because I thought I'd lost my access to my intuition recently. And, um, and Drew a couple months ago, just said, you know what, you need to book your trip to go to Fairfield, Iowa to meditate for a week. And coming off of that, I, I reconnected with my intuition. It gave me a lot of clarity and focus, but I've been living for the past two years in a, in, in like a cloud. Cause I, and a lot of uncertainty. Um, I mean, on the surface and on the outside, obviously I, I present, um, very successful. I mean, we are successful and I have to present that way. And it's really important because I, I do believe in what we're doing and I love talking about it, but I think it's important to also realize that for every time I'm up on a huge stage, giving a keynote, I'm, I'm also struggling. Now, are you transparent about it when you're on stages at like WWD? So in that case, I, I, I mean, I was educating the crowd. I was educating beauty CEOs on this idea of influencer commerce. So it kind of didn't get into the personal thing, but I am very, very transparent when I've spoken at Create and Cultivate or Girl Boss rallies. It's achieve a level of success that works for you. It does not mean sell your company. And I, I want to say that I think that there's been a huge disservice out there, media, TV shows, celebrity CEOs that make it seem like it's really easy to start a company raise money from some venture capitalists and then sell it for uh, millions of dollars. And guess what? Most of the acquisitions that happen out there are either equity acquisitions, which means you're the, the, um, the CEO isn't even getting a cash payout. Um, it means that uh, a lot of the acquisitions out there are actually aqua hires. So it means that the acquiring company could have bought their company for a dollar just to get the team. But guess what? That CEO now gets to say, oh, I sold my first company. And I think it's a misnomer um, because everyone looks at, well, everyone else is doing this. All I have to do is meet some VCs and raise some money. And you don't realize how hard it is. 
because the people who fail or sorry, don't fail, but the people that don't have huge payouts are not the ones talking about not having the huge payouts. Right. And so that's why I love the fact that you're able to be so transparent along the way. Um, uh, because people aren't even talking about just the journey, the real journey, being a female founder and CEO, having your ups and downs. Um, I mean, you and I have been on many, many walks where it, it was dark times and you didn't know, you know, how we would keep the lights on for even just the next month payroll, so to speak. And then I would talk to you and it's like, you persevered, something would happen, something would shift. You were super laser focused about it, but it has, it is, it's been stressful. Um, and I love the fact that you're sharing that because it's real and it's not the glamorous shark tank. You pitch it for 10 seconds and you get, you know, a $250,000 investment on the fly after a minute. And guess what? Even when that does happen, it doesn't solve all the problems of the entrepreneur. In fact, it only complicates them. <laughs> so if, well, there's a lot more pressure. And if you're not ready for that, it's a whole different conversation. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the advice I would give anyone who wants to start a business is first of all, go work in that industry for a while, meet the people, unpack who's successful, you know, which companies are successful, what they're doing. So be in that industry for a while first. And the second thing is try to do it without having to raise any money or very little capital. Okay. So I want to actually go back and close the gap from your role right before you became founder and CEO of Iconery. Um, you were VP of marketing over at Modnik and, uh, what, was that transition like, and how did it happen? Yeah, so I'm an I call I'm an accidental CEO. Um, what happened was I, I had my dream job. I was so happy. I was um, kind of the right hand to the CEO. I was we were growing the company, um, and I took a vacation. So I went hiking in the Eastern Sierras. That was the first time I did the JMT, and. Um, when I came off the mount, out of the mountains, being completely off the grid after eight days, I found out that a private equity fund had come in, acquired the company, acquired the assets, laid everyone off. It was a bit of a like a hostile takeover, and I came back to no job. And I was like, "Oh my fucking god!" I was in tears. I was like, "What do I do? This is my dream job." It's actually been a little bit hard for me to let go because it was so amazing, and I loved being part of a founding team without being a CEO. Well, the CEO of that company said, you know what, I have some ideas. Let's, let's, throw, let's kick them around. So he and I, equal co-founders, started Iconery, and he was amazing. Um, and we worked on it for a couple months, but ultimately he couldn't keep bootstrapping. So he gave all his shares back to me, and I continued on. And, and, and when I say continued on, I was continuing to push forward the 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 opportunities, like the, the investor conversations and the partner conversations that I already had going, I wasn't really seeking out any new ones. But at the same time, I was also interviewing pretty heavily for jobs. Um, and at, in the same week in May of 2015, I got two job offers. And then I got an offer from for funding from Amplify, which I was not expecting. Amplify is one of the top. Um, uh, yeah, they're one of the top accelerators in the nation. And, um, and I was like, oh, shit. What am I going to do? Because I was exhausted. That's a tough one. You've just been at it on your own. Your co-founder has, you know, defected um, to pursue other quests. You're on your own. You're pursuing like crazy. But at the same time, you need to make some money. And you never really set out to be a CEO anyway. How did you know, to, how did you know what decision to make? 
So I called Greg Bettinelli at Upfront Ventures. He's a mentor of mine. And I was like, what do I do? And I laid it out for him. And ultimately what he said was, well, look, you failing at Iconery is going to be ultimately better for your career than the two job offers you have. And really what it's come down to is every time I've thought, okay, Iconery's not going to make it. I've kind of like seen what's out there in the marketplace. I've never found an opportunity good enough to leave what I'm doing. So kind of by default, sometimes I keep going with Iconery. And by the way, that means that I've gone through paying myself for long stretches of time and then not paying myself for more of that time, laying off people, hiring people. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty that you don't ever realize um, just to keep, keep going. Um, I mean, not to, something that I don't actually share very often is in that same time period, um, I also, um, I was dating a guy living with him. I got pregnant and he wasn't making very much money and I didn't know how to go get a job or what to do. So I, we made the decision to have an abortion. Um, 10 days later, he broke up with me and I moved in with my parents. So I was a 34 year old living at home with my parents. Um, I went through severe postpartum depression, which by the way, because no one talks about abortion, no one talks about the fact that you go through some significant, significant depression for at, about six months, um, especially at my age. Um, so I didn't, and in that very same time period, that's when my CEO or my co-founder decided to leave. And I had to go interview for jobs and continue to meet with investors. And, and all the while having these thoughts like, I want to be hit by a bus. I just, I can't, I was like, couldn't get out of bed in the, but I would have to get out of the bed because I'd have investor meetings and I'd have to turn it on. And I'd be like, Oh, I actually had one of my investors say to me, we just need to know that you would do whatever it takes for your company. He, he doesn't know to this about the abortion, but I'm like, Oh, Oh, I've done everything. Anyway, thanks for that part. Cause I don't talk about it very regularly, but you know, what's interesting, I've gotten more open about sharing that. And it's surprising how many female founders out there have made the same choice. Oh my God. Um, such a hard time. I can't imagine that making that decision was easy. And no, how did you navigate knowing that that would be the absolute right decision for you? Um, I really had to battle the idea of, you know, is this selfish? Um, is it not to, so I knew deep down that I don't think that the guy I was with was the right guy. But the, the other thing that I don't think we talk about enough about abortion is actually, it's not a birth control. <laughs> it's not a method of birth control. And I think that we don't talk about it enough in the right way that makes people realize that. So I saw it as an option. I was like, Oh, you know what? I'll just, I'll just get an abortion. I mean, I really, I, I heavily waited out. And really what I wanted to happen was I wanted this boyfriend to step up and say, you know what, we're going to do this. You can do your company. I will take care of you. We'll have this baby. But guess what? He didn't. I mean, he didn't even care when I was getting the test results. He was like, Oh yeah, just whatever you can. I did it with my sister. I mean, he just didn't care, which told me everything. Um, but I wish I had known how important and impactful that decision would be because I don't think I took it seriously enough. And 
ever since then, every, every guy that I've dated pretty early on or right, you know, like in the dating processes we're hooking up, I always make a point since then, I've always made a point to say, just so you know, if we get pregnant accidentally, I am not having an abortion because I never, I never want to go through that again. And I don't think anyone should. How else did that decision define you as a woman in the last three years? Oh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I'd have to think about that to thoughtfully get back to you. Uh, one thing that it that has actually kept me going with my company though, is this, um, I have a friend of mine and uh, um, I was talking about it with him and I, let's see. What keeps me going with my company is this idea that even when there's days where I'm not fulfilled by the idea of making jewelry for celebrities or influencers, at the end of the day, this company is affording me the opportunity to raise my visibility and hopefully get a nice payout so that when I'm done with the iconary journey, I have the platform on which to speak out on this topic and help other people's voices be heard, help them through this process, educate others. So what keeps me going with Iconery is this passion for the conversation I want to have next. I mean, I don't want to take away from that. So I don't want to start inserting, you know, the idea of, or the topic of abortion in there yet, because I st- still think that Me Too is having a, a really important moment. But when that it has like t- had much more of a foothold, I think it is the right um, environment and fodder for people to actually be able to hear and have the conversation that's next. Mm, totally. So just so I understand um, what you would probably want to speak about um, on this topic, is it to really hit home that abortion is not, um, uh, what did you say earlier? It is not- Hormone birth control? Yeah, right. Uh, is that what it is? I mean, are you pro-choice? Are you you know, pro-life? Like, where are you now on it? I am first and foremost pro-choice with a strong dose of pro- life. So being conscious. So conscious decision-making and, and more than anything, I, I don't know that I want to actually go out and um, proselytize anything. What I want to go out and say is there are, there are women in your office, in your workplace, there are women in your family who are going through this that you probably don't think are. I mean, I even have a very, very Christian, very religious friend. And she's like, when I told her about what I went through, because I was, I was afraid to tell her for a couple of years when I told her, she actually said, my husband doesn't know this, but I've had one. So what I want to make clear out there is every, there are a lot of people going through this and they are going through it more alone than anything else. So, uh, thank you for sharing. And, um, I, you know, I support you and I love you and I'm sorry that you didn't have the love and the care that you needed from your partner at that time. And yet at the same time, I look back on one of my very favorite quotes from Tony Robbins, who says, was that coincidence or was that grace? And that whole relationship led you to where you are now Um, in this beautiful partnership with Drew, your uh, boyfriend, very serious boyfriend. Um, 
So I want to talk about that in a sec, but if we can, I want to just circle back to the beginning days of iconery and, and, uh, what what do you say? I mean, so what was the defining moment? So all that was going on in the middle of 2015, you have a couple of job offers on the table. You call your mentor. What is it like those first early days of like, oh my gosh, Amplify just gave us our first investment. I'm chills again because I remember walking with you when that happened. It was so beyond exciting to have seen how hard you work, the leap of faith that you took, not knowing much about the industry really at all, which is interesting because these days you would suggest and recommend that, you know, a young entrepreneur understand that industry, but you didn't have a lot of experience. Well, I had ex- in, in jewelry, jewelry, right. I had a ton right, of marketing, e-commerce. Yeah. Retail, right. Yeah. So what was that like? So it is incorrect. So in the early days, <laughs> in the early days of entrepreneurship, you are filled with hope and excitement and vision, and you're going to just change the world. <laughs> and wow. And you can't, there's no one that can say anything to you that will change your mind. And you are just on a high and um, and then when you get that first bit of investment, you're like, see, I've got this validation. I'm going to make it work. And you're just, you know, you get excited. We're going to launch our product. It is a drug. It is very exciting, very motivating. Um, now, what's interesting and what happened is we launched. And we launched Women's Wear Daily did the exclusive. InStyle covered our launch. It was a big deal. Guess what? It didn't drive any sales our first day. By the end of the day, I had two friends that were like, oh, what are your sales been like? And I was like, oh, nothing. And they both made purchases so that we would have purchases on the first day. Um, And then you know what? I had a series of uh, everything I tried failed. I couldn't get PR to drive. I couldn't get... The influencers I was picking weren't driving sales. So then I was in this battle of what the hell? Like I felt insane because I'm, I had at the time when I started, I think I had, I had nine or eight years of e-commerce experience. I had something like 11 years of just experience. I'm like, wait, why is nothing working? Um, Which made me. I mean, I'm kind of glad I went through that, but it made me very resilient. Um, I would try something if it wasn't working and it was clearly not working. I would, you know, change course, change course, change course. Like what, you know, like throwing ideas against the wall, seeing what sticks. I actually think one of the most dangerous things is when you start a company and you get immediate positive uh, reinforcement because you just think you have, you know, you are on, you are God's gift to the world. And I think there's a lot of humility in the path that was my path, I guess, the path that was <laughs> laid out in front of me, because as a result, I have so much humility. I don't bank on anything I'm doing. I'm very critical and careful, but flexible um, and quick moving. Um, and I see a lot of CEOs out there that just think they are incredible because guess what? They raise a shit ton of money. So obviously, if you have money, you can pour into stuff or you know, just because the first you know, a couple hundred thousand people bought their product that they, that they have longevity. So in this roller coaster, then I was on a pretty long downswing. Um, we got an acquisition offer that we turned down. We got offers for more money. Um, finally, earlier this year, about six months ago, I was like, you know what? I want to control the destiny of iconery. I I want to turn this into a real business, a business that actually 
is a real business. Uh, we achieved profitability in March. Thank you. Which um, amazing. How how far in were you? Two years? Oh no, this oh, past March. Three. It's we're almost at four years of you know incubation right. of the idea. So it took almost four years to profit. Yes. Holy shit. Um, and I don't take anything for granted at this point either because <laughs> the income we have coming in now doesn't, I don't count on it for years to come, but I, in the past, I would say really, and it's only been in the past six months, I really feel like I've landed on a formula that works and gently as I continue to repeat it, it's working and so I'm finally now starting to see the positive traction that I was really hoping to see a couple of years ago. But hey, I got there. Can you share, is that proprietary or can you share, like, is it, are they marketing hacks that you're gently laying out and watching work consistently, but you're very grateful as you're aware it might not tomorrow? It's actually more of a business model shift. Um, this is also the danger of having of having other people's money or having money when you're starting out, but like before you launch. And that is, okay, I had, I'm not going to say how much, but I had a ton of money in the bank and I was like, okay, we're just going to pay this influencer or we're just going to, you know, cover this cost for this other influencer. And I wasn't critically thinking about, wait a second, if there's literally, if they don't have any skin in the game, they aren't going to work for me the way they need to work for me to promote their jewelry collection. And as a result, I realized, there there's a i have to understand what incentivizes them what motivates them and shift the business model so that i'm not giving away the farm i mean i basically feel like i was running a charity for the first couple of years literally everyone has made money from this business except for me <laughs> um except for the company I, that is so um starting to make those tweaks and realizing one i'm good enough our business is good enough i can ask for money i can you know change the way we're we're doing this, uh, that is what has changed. So not getting lazy because I have a bunch of dollars to just throw. Mm -hmm. And constantly looking at how you could reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, that AB testing that you learned way back when. Um, awesome. So would that look like, for example, instead of maybe going to, and I'm just presuming here, I don't know, going to, let's say an A-list celebrity and saying, Hey, we want to do some jewelry around you and your name and your style. Um, and then just expecting them to help promote and help to get the word out and drive, uh, traffic to your site for sales. Um, but now let's say going to other people like that and saying, we want to collaborate. And this is what an investment on your behalf would look like. And by the way, we also expect you to promote and to help market to drive traffic for sales. Is it, exactly. is that the sort of, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, and I also realized that, um, optically we appeared to be a jewelry brand when in reality we are a supply chain as a service. So we changed our homepage to be less e-commerce-y and less mark, like, uh, yeah, less merchandised. And we made it so that it's very clear that we are a supply chain as a service business. Um, and that shifted the way we were perceived, even having that intro conversation. Interesting. It's those two millimeter shifts exactly. that can sometimes make the difference of winning the Olympian gold finally profiting. Congratulations. That's awesome. Now, where did you get that idea? 
You know, it was talking to a lot of people. And I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are uh, unwilling to, um, you know, come out from behind the curtain and say, I need help figuring this out. But it was, I mean, hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours, uh, conversations with mentors, even my investors, you know, um, fellow entrepreneurs, just to say, what, what am I doing wrong here? Like what's, what's, and, and getting their feedback and actually starting to make those little tiny ship shifts. Um, you know, it's not sexy for a venture capitalist to invest in, um, a manufacturer or us or a consulting firm. But when we appear to be more of an agency, um, that chain, you know, PR is considered a line item and it's an agency. So when I, when I talk to influencers now and I show them that we are in a similar vein, it's just rather than promoting you to press, we are helping you build your collection. It changes the way we are perceived. So we're not seen as a brand that they're collaborating with. We are your service provider. Yes, which explains then the, um, the topics that you have been speaking from as you grace all of these, uh, you know, iconic stages. Um, like, for example, I know that you posted that influencers will be the next billion dollar brands. How so? What did you mean by that? Yeah, so it's really fascinating. Um, social media has made it so that people can want to connect with people. So they, um, if you think about the brands you you probably, I mean, I don't really follow any brands on social media. I prefer to follow people because I'd rather mm -hmm. that's, you know, I want to connect with people. So the gaps and banana republics of the world, you know, why would you follow them on social? What, why would you go after them when you could follow, uh, an individual that you really respect who happens mm -hmm. to start, you know, has made her own t-shirt line or started to make your own consumer or your beauty brands. So what I'm saying is that the next generation of billion dollar brands will be built on the backs of people and not nameless, faceless organizations. Got it. And you used a wonderful example. I mean, she's just probably the biggest example, but it's, it just makes it so clear a Kylie Jenner, Exactly. you know, um, you know, she's got just a nameless lip gloss, for example. It's just the same as in, you can private label anything, but because she's got a platform, she's actually the brand, not the product. Yeah. So she's got this persona that people want to follow and buy into and be like, um, and so that's, what's driving the sales of these lip glosses and eye kits that really don't cost that much to manufacture. An even better example, I, I would say, would be Emily Weiss, who wrote into the into the gloss, the beauty blog, for a number of years. Um, and from having conversations with her readers, she was able to identify what was missing, what people wanted. She she launched Glossier, and as a result, they're doing um, in the first couple of years they've been doing generating six hundred percent year over year revenue growth. And, but she still continues to collaborate with her followers and her consumers on what are the next products? Like, how do they modify the existing products? So it's this co-creation of a brand that you would never, that people would never engage with, with a 
you know, a nameless, faceless organization. Totally. Well, it becomes more of a people to people, um, collaboration too, which is exactly what you've stepped into and you've seen make such a, um, measured difference, um, for iconery to actually give you a shot at being around and making an impact in the lives of so many women. I want to quickly share the story, um, about my ring because it's so special. So I wear an iconery diamond, uh, rose gold, eternity band that I purchased myself um, from your site. And it was because it was uh, the band that would represent the ultimate matrimony. I married myself, me and about 60 other women from all around the world on the beach in Santa Monica. People, literally women flew in from all around the world, Australia, Canada, East Coast. Um, And we had like this three day preparing of ceremonies and rituals and, you know, building our flower crowns and dancing and moving our bodies. Yes. It was called Exploding Roses and and founded by my dear friend and actress and new mom, Sarah Carter. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's still one of the most impactful moments that was super defining for me. So we wrote our vows. We sh- we read them aloud to one another as we were in our limousines, our white limousines, going from the Hollywood <laughs> Hills and caravanning to the Pacific Ocean. We got there right before sunset. We had other women um, serenading us with live guitar and music oh. and sound, and we were all barefoot wearing wedding dresses of our choice. And then as we each person stood in the center um, of this beautiful sacred circle, um, it's just so beautiful and touching. Aww. I slipped this ring on my finger to seal my <laughs> vows of the ultimate self-love. And and then we all ran into the ocean and some women got naked. And it was just like, <laughs> it was it was quite a scene because the beach was not empty. <laughs> it was that, that was October of 2015. And I haven't taken oh. the ring off since. So I wear it on my right oh hand. My Every once in a while, I wear it on my left hand. If I don't want someone to talk to me at like Whole Foods or <laughs> Um, but I haven't, and I always think about it. Like I touch my jewelry and I twist my jewelry and I, and like the earrings that I'm wearing were such a special gift to me. Um, and the diamond, uh, as you know, um, bracelet that I wear that you were a part of to help gift to me for my 40th birthday and, uh, my closest friends all contributed toward that piece of jewelry. Jewelry is the most personal thing in our lives. It is it's like- the most personal art form it's, it's, you can ask anyone, what's the story behind that? And uh, unlike, you know, what's the story behind that sweater or that, you know, headband, it's, you know, everyone has a story behind their jewelry. I love it because it's so personal and it's, you know, um, the people who have, you know, refugees who have have had to leave their homes that oftentimes the one thing they bring is, you know, their mother's wedding ring or, Jewelry carries more of a meaning and a story and a lineage than anything else I've ever I've ever seen or come across. Oh, it's so true. I love it. Mm, me too. When I was selling jewelry at HSN um, in the middle of the night, uh, it was my favorite thing to sell. I didn't know anything about precious gems. I didn't know anything about precious metals. I didn't. I didn't know anything about anything. But I knew that jewelry had stories and so they had me it had meaning and then and then my shoppers would call in and share their personal stories about what pieces meant to them and um and it was just it became so sentimental and it was so much more interesting and um fulfilling to talk about so I love that you have a platform that uh, enables so many of us men and women to be able to open up conversation with tell me about that ring or tell me about that pendant that you're wearing um oh deep and one of the things oh, that's really, really, really exciting um, that just is a great example of this is um, we did the, one of our last collaborations was with Jen Gotch mm. and she's 
such, I mean, you guys, everyone should follow her on Instagram. Her Instagram stories are hilarious. She's so genuine, so real. You you should actually have her on your podcast. Um, I, I would love to, but hold on. Um, for those who aren't aware, can you just briefly explain Jen Gotch? Oh, yeah. So she is the founder and chief creative officer of Bando. So Bando.com. It is a very playful, um, positive um, site. She has over, she has tens of thousands of followers, I think 150,000 or something like that. But she's loved around the world. And one of the things she's, she's in her um, mid forties and she's very, very open about um, having bipolar disorder and suffering from anxiety. Um, And because she's open about it and no one else is as open as she is really on social media. Well, that's not true. There's, there's other people, but she has, her followers are just so passionate about her. And so when she came to us in, it was December 22nd of last year, she sent me an email. I was like, hey, I have this idea. I want to do anxiety and depression necklaces. Can we work together? And I was, I got the email I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, first of all, I'm not sure how this is going to apply. Like really, who's going to buy an anxiety or depression necklace? But the more I started talking with her about it, she is so authentic about this conversation and that so she's launched it. And as a result, every time she's, we've done a drop, it's sold out in minutes. Um, and it is the, the reason why she's doing it is not to rate, not to generate revenues or profits. It is to generate a conversation around and destigmatize the, the, the conversation around mental illness. Um, and hundred percent of the net proceeds go to bring change to mind, which is a charity that Glenn Close started. But what is so cool about her is she, she more than a t-shirt, more than anything else chose jewelry to be what tells the story, what starts the conversation and what is treasured mm, by those I love who wear that. it. It's so, um, fascinating to me, the whole topic. And I, there, there, I have some people in my life that have social anxiety and I say, listen, if if you're worried about what to say or even how to start a conversation, look at anything that they might be wearing jewelry wise and just ask them, Hey, tell me about this piece. Where did you get it? Or what does it mean to you? And then that will open up the conversation. That's so much better than a shallow, like, so where'd you go to school or where do you live? Or, you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, get it right to meaning. It's the easiest thing because almost everybody wears at least something, you know, ladies, at least there's earrings in their ears typically. Right. Or a necklace. It's like, Oh, that's such a pretty necklace. Tell me about that. And so I love that. And then if this could even start the conversation to go deeper, it's like, oh, wow, this necklace means so much to me because it really represents me, you know, honoring the fact that I battle anxiety or depression and I really want it to be an open, you know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing and and projecting, but I love that. There are two kinds of conversations, real and fake. And I think one of the biggest distinguishing factors of real is real talk. Yeah. Real that talk. That's cussing. <laughs> that for me, it does. Not everybody, and I get it. But um, you know, listen. I don't say it on TV when I'm on air. I haven't had it slip out yet. Um, but you know, if I'm real in my everyday, there's going to be an F word. It's okay. You know, I feel like it just adds to. <laughs> um, okay, we can't get off of this conversation, our real talk, without talking about your hiking um, because it's awe inspiring, and you've done what. I honestly, I don't, I don't think I have it in me. And it's that same thing that you have in you that has created success of having a startup for almost four years before you profited. And I know that you lived on credit cards, you drained your 401k. These are things that people don't talk about. I get the chills because you were so committed and laser focused. 
you lived with your parents, you went through dark, dark times, and then you would see some light and you've learned so much about yourself along the journey. But I know that that correlates in a parallel way of just being a human and how you see life um, in some of these incredible summits that you've climbed, including, like I mentioned at the top, it's worth repeating, Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. And that's in East Africa, y'all. And um, that's no small feat. Mount Whitney, the tallest mountain in California and one of the tallest peaks in the States. Tallest mountain in the lower 48. And and just so you know, I've yeah. attempted it seven or eight times. And No. Yeah, I think I've done it. I've attempted it seven times and summited five. I do it every summer at this point. Five now. Yeah. Ooh, are you doing it this summer? Yes. Okay. Uh, and then the west face of Mount Shasta, and of course, um, John Muir Trail and Trans Catalina Trail. Yeah. What takes you to these trails? So I would say, the, okay, what I want to say and the way I, what, what I want to share with everyone is that being an entrepreneur means you are not having little wins every day. And by the way, I know when everyone's like, celebrate the small success, it's, you just can't like, it's not there. It's really, really hard to have successes every day or to celebrate them. So I choose to do these things because I have the ability to point to something that I've concretely accomplished and feel good about it. Because it's too ambiguous in a company to say, to point to something and say, I concretely achieved that to be able to be on a trail and to look back and say, I came from a hundred miles back that way, or I reached the top is like, it's really helpful for my brain to be able to say, this is a concrete example of something I achieved. And it gives some relief and a sea of constant uncertainty. Not being able to measure as yeah. an entrepreneur, but being able to clearly measure, I just climbed 19,341 feet to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Crazy. It's binary. You're, yes. Um, so what, what kind of an impact does that have on you? Oh, it's really mentally freeing and it gives me a sense of peace um, because my daily life is all about well, it's all, it's all about giving of myself, make, generating ideas, generating decisions, leading my team. It's all about giving, 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 and generating and, ha and having to generate that from nothing. Whereas I get on a trail and I'm like, all I have to do, I can turn off my brain, put one step in front of the other. Um, you know, obviously I'm always gauging for weather patterns and like, you know, but it's a little bit, it's much more analog and straightforward. And I need that simplicity in order for my brain to kind of get some mental freedom. However, let's be clear. It, there's nothing simple about these trails that oh, you're no. on. I mean, what's a day in the life? Yeah. Last summer. I mean, I was scared for you when I was watching some of the posts come through on Instagram. I knew that you were out there with um, our mutual friend, um, uh, Warren, and I saw the weather what was that experience like? Well, let's talk about the trail and the experience and how different it was from the times that you had done it in the past. Yeah. So I've done the John Muir trail. So I had done parts of the John Muir trail already twice, uh, once alone, once with a friend. And this last summer, I just, I just, and how, how long is the John Muir trail? Just so we have perspective. How long are you out there? It's a 211 mile trail that goes from Yosemite to Mount Whitney. But when I have typically done it, I go for 80 to 130 miles so this last, because of the 300% snow year that we had last winter, 
when I went out last summer with Warren, there was still a significant amount of snow. Um, there was a PCT hiker that had died three weeks before we got on the trail. We were using um, technical gear that I normally would never do the JMT with. Um, and we were, there were three significant times where two in water crossings and one on a, a mountain pass where I was like, if, if I make a millimeter wrong decision or movement, I am dead. I mean, I've either drowned or I have fallen down 200 feet of snow crashing into rocks. Um, so it was terrifying. And, at, and, and in the meantime, there was crazy weather patterns. So pretty much every day we had thunder, lightning, uh, rain. There was one night where we had put a downpour overnight in our tents from about 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. lightning. And you're, and because of where we were, there was literally nowhere to, to put our tent to be safe. So it was like, well, we can't go under trees. We can't go over to these rocks, like be under these rocks. Okay. I mean, if lightning's going to strike, it's going to strike. Um, it was really, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, uh, what did I get from it? Sometimes I think I, I like to think that what I got from it is that anytime I'm dealing with something challenging here, I'm like, well, at least I'm not facing death. It doesn't really help me at all, but I do like to sometimes think back and reward myself with the thought that, you know what, I choose to do really difficult things and I'm proud of myself mm-hmm. for choosing to do hard things. I don't, it reminds, yeah, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by Jim Rohn, where he says, don't wish it were easier, wish you were better. And that's super hardcore and intense, especially in the world of like the snowflake, you know, age, but, and I can be a snowflake all day long and be too sensitive and cry at the, you know, the drop of a hat. And I think you can too, but I'm also badass and have a strong work ethic and, and I like to get after it and get gritty and, and, um, and that's what this is. I mean, you're faced with death. At one millimeter, you said. So what do you say to yourself in those moments? So I know now you can look back in hindsight and say, okay, if I can get through that, I can get through this. But what are you saying to yourself in that moment to get you through? Oh, I mean, the one that was the hardest was on this this mountain pass. Um, We were at such an angle and we were at such a time in the day where I wasn't sure the snow would hold. Um, and I didn't know how to keep going. And I was like, well, I can't ment- I can't lose it. Cause like, if I mentally lose it, I'm dead. <laughs> um, I don't even know what that looks like. What did I do? I, I remember, and I don't know why I thought this, but all of a sudden I thought to myself, trust your gear. And I just kept repeating, trust your gear, trust your gear, trust your gear. And having that mantra that was kind of neutral and not scary cut me through, even though Ultimately, I was not sure my micro spikes would actually hold. We were on a, an area where we should have had crampons and an ice axe, and we were wearing micro spikes. Um, and somehow I just kept going forward. And I was like, well, it's going to be harder to turn around and go backwards. So I guess I'm just going to keep going forward. But it was, it was, t- it was terrifying. And then I had to put that aside. And I just came up with a mantra that could get me through can get you through, which is your, you know, 34 years of having a mantra get you through. Yeah. Which is beautiful, but it's not the same mantra, is it? It's not. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) This has been such an awesome conversation. I can't thank you enough. Um, Before we wrap, I have just a couple more questions. Um, Who's inspiring you right now? I know you mentioned Jen Gotch, um, Emily Weiss. Who else is inspiring you? Either be a book, a podcast, a documentary, a CEO, 
What's making you feel alive and inspired? I would say the thing that's really, really hit some, has touched something within me is this book, Why We Sleep, and just the impact of deep rest on every part of our lives. It's so exciting and like fascinating, and I'm, um, I can't talk about it enough. So that's okay. I'm so picking that book up and we'll make sure that all of our listeners get um, access to where they can pick it up as well. And um, what's next? What, what are you excited about that's next? Well, I have doubled down. I, I've kind of identified my single focus direction for the company, which I've been living in, in uh, ambiguity for a while now. And I've, was able to tap into my intuition and get some really great advice and talk to some incredible people and go inward last week. And I feel very confident about the direction I'm going in and super, super excited. And the more I talk about it, just in the couple of days I've been back, the more I know that this is the direction to go. And so having, so what's next is this, I can't say what it is. <laughs> right, 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 right. But it's this direction that I've tapped into. Yes. And you were able to uncover that while you were in your six day meditation retreat. Yes. Repeating, trust your gear, trust your gear, trust your gear. <laughs> but isn't that a wonderful philosophy for life? Trust your gear. Your gear, my love, has always been your intuition. And the way that you've accessed your intuition that has guided you and been your, your lighthouse for 38 years or 34 since you realized it was there was through TM. And I love that this is such a beautiful mindset tool that you get to share with my listeners because we've been hearing about meditation Listen, if you're living in California, your whole life, but obviously my listeners are everywhere. And if you haven't started meditation, why not start today? And if you haven't been sure about which one to start, try TM. You know, there's, there's you know, such great um, information and many resources. And I love the book that you mentioned, which is um, the, the TM book, How to Love. Oh, um, all you need is love. All you need is love. It's Thank a beautiful okay. story about Marishi and, and the early days of the movement. But um, if you want to learn more about TM, go to tm.org. I am mm. not financially affiliated with it. I just. <laughs> well, it's been um, your saving grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. About everything. It's amazing. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Did you have a question? No, no, no. Keep going. <laughs> We're going to talk about your man, but let's just say you're happy. You're in love. You live together. He's also an entrepreneur. Um, I guess real quickly, what's it like? And I know he's just healthy and right and amazing and I fucking love Drew. Um, but what's it like having two entrepreneurs in, under one roof? Oh, well, it, there's extreme pros and extreme cons. The extreme con is that we both live in a world of extreme uncertainty. And that means a lot of, uh, like financially, uh, it, it's a little bit of a strain sometimes, but, um, but I, we call each other co-founders in life as cheesy as that is. And he is the person I run every idea past and vice versa. Um, which is, uh, we have this fluidity of our life, work, relationship, friend network, even, even our friends, um, most of our best friends are all other founders. Um, and so we've found balance by, uh, by coming up with, um, complete, in, uh, integration. I love it. And you can really support one another and, um, balance each other out. Right. Um, final question before how we can find you, uh, describe what fulfillment means for you. Oh, fulfillment for me is knowing how to tap into 
and access happiness um, that's more than just a fleeting kind of twinkle. Um, so fulfillment is remembering that I always have the tools to find that, whether that's in meditation or on the trail, um, and being grateful for that, that I have a, a work, a, a company that allows me to, to reach my happiness, reach happiness. If it itself is not bringing me a ton of happiness at the time. So fulfillment is more about this deep, deep happiness and deep, feeling of gratitude, kind of no matter the source, but knowing I can access it when I need it. Are you there now? Yes. I know you are. I can see <laughs> You guys can't see it because this is podcast, but um, we're, we're looking at each other via um, a video conference, so I can see it. And it makes me so happy. It makes me fulfilled to see you fulfilled. And you've worked really hard. And we got to enjoy it while it's here because we know, just like being on the, the trajectory of an entrepreneur, um, it doesn't always last, but it's knowing how to tap back into it quicker yeah. than the last time, which is where you are. How can we find you? So I'm on Instagram, uh, CA Evka. It's California Evka. Um, I, my company is Iconery, but our uh, Instagram is The Iconery. So T H E, The Iconery. Um, and you can always email me, Evka at iconery.com. I love it. Thank you, my friend, for coming on and sharing um, your your mantra. <laughs> I knew I'd get it out of you. <laughs> and uh, and your soul and being so beautifully transparent. Mm. And I'm so excited to watch you in this next chapter. And um, I will just hold space for what I know you're super excited about in all these new places, career-wise, relationship-wise, this summer and going back to the John Muir trail. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, space for, um, just continued growth and health and utter fulfillment. Thank you. I love you so much. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with a friend and you can head on over to iTunes to leave me a review. That would be so appreciated. And of course, if you'd like to reach me directly with any comments, questions, or feedback, you can do so at themindsetmashup.com. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to hearing from you.